This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 627. And the quote of the day is, work and you'll get what you need. Work harder and you'll get what you want. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 627, and I feel good. I feel rested and relaxed. I went on vacation for the first time uh, in a long time, and I don't I don't really take many off-the-grid uh, vacations, so going and turning off the laptop, turning off the phone, and really just recharging was, was, uh, was really, really good. We missed an episode last week, and... I actually had an episode that was ready to go out and I got a call while I was on vacation and said, hey, we need to hold off on this episode for a particular reason. So that episode got pulled and I didn't have one in the can that was ready to go. So apologies about missing last week, but we're back on track this week and it's a great conversation with Scott Hessel and he is the drummer for the Jim Blossoms, the longest tenured drummer for the Jim Blossoms. He's been playing with them for 10 years and his story is really great. We talk a lot about quote unquote making it. I, I don't like those words, but he talks about how he has this never say die attitude and really worked hard and, and was refusing to give up. And there was a little bit of right place, right time. But as we talk about in this episode where right place and right time is great, but if you're not prepared for that opportunity and you're not ready to strike while the iron's hot, then you will miss that opportunity. You may not even know that it came in the first place because you're not prepared. You're not presented with the opportunity, et cetera. So we get into that and a bunch of other things just about overall life in bands and and working with other people and and how you have to be a good person and what you know obviously you have to play well with but your personality and all that stuff we get into that and a lot more so i'm rambling at this point and i don't want to waste any more time let's get into it with scott hessel scott what's happening buddy how are you doing my friend nick I'm good. I'm good. Um, I feel like I should ask you how last week's uh, conversation <laughs> went. Oh, yes. Um, yes. The invisible conversation. <laughs> you know, that was a fantastic um, interview that we, we did but didn't do. Uh, but didn't for, do. For, for those uh, listening out there, I um, thought that the chat was last week. So uh, I was sitting... Um, quietly uh, contemplating what we were going to talk about and and I was waiting and waiting and waiting then you're like and then I realized He's yes, really late. It, it's it's a week <laughs> early so there you go I felt horrible too because I didn't you know obviously I didn't know that you were on there but I know I get an email when it says oh your guest is on waiting for you right but i was on vacation so i saw the email like 7 I hours saw that later you were on vacation i was thinking Boy, that must be nice. We're going to do a podcast and you're on the beach and, I, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm stuck in Arizona and it's 115. I was, I was like, what, what, where is the, the justice in this? <laughs> well, we got it lined up now, which, uh, which is great. So first of all, thank you for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for asking and having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, let's, I, I want to rewind a little bit, not, we don't need your whole life story, but I know that you, so, but you grew up in Florida, right? Uh, yeah, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I spent a few years there just long enough for, um, me to realize that if I lived, if I actually tried to live there, I probably uh, would have died because I had, uh, I had asthma. Uh, and it was, and you know, the humidity and everything, it was bad. So I spent a lot of my, uh, this sounds really pathetic. I spent a lot of my <clears throat> time in the hospital. And so, oh, uh, so my, uh, my dear, uh, dad, uh, transferred, uh, the family out to Arizona, which at the time looked like a great idea. And now here it is, uh, so many years later. And it's like, Arizona is one of the worst places you can live if you have asthma and allergies and so forth. So. 
anyway, but he's, <laughs> he, they, he'd saved my life at the time. Wow. I, well, first of all, I didn't think that I didn't think uh, Arizona would be the place that would be horrible for asthma because it's dry. Well, now, see, um, all of the people who have migrated to Arizona over the last uh, 30 to 40, 50 years, they've brought apparently this is the deal. I don't I'm no expert here, but they've brought all of the uh, the stuff uh, that they, you know, from Chicago and all of the other places where they've come from. And so this is now the melting pot for allergens. Mm. It's really interesting. Listen, forget uh, drummers talk. We're talking allergens. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about. (laughs) Aren't you uh, glad you rewound? (laughs) Yeah. Neti pots. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, So what was it? So what was it like growing up in Arizona? I'm always interested to know, you know, like, what were you listening to? What was going on in your house? What, you know, what were some, because I know, you know, for, for most people, it's like, well, I just listened to whatever was on the radio or whatever was on at the mall. Yeah. Uh, but what about you? What, what was your, what well, was that, your well, that certainly would have been me. Like I was not the, um, uh, the cool kid listening to the meat puppets. Uh, although I did eventually, uh, start loving the meat puppets at one point, but, uh, no, when I was in grade school and high school, I was listening to whatever was on the radio Mm-hmm. And and in the seventies, actually, boy, now this is aging me. Uh, I loved all the singer songwriters, uh, like James Taylor and um, mm-hmm. uh, all of the you know Carol King, all of the the uh, the amazing singer songwriters from the seventies. So if I get if I get in a car <clears throat> and they have the Sirius XM, I immediately go to the the seventies station, and it's just like you know that's that's my jam still. Right, right. So were you playing drums then though? I, I, you know, I was playing drums, uh, since I was three and like many, uh, drummers, you know, I, my parents got me one of those little country and Western drum kits that I broke, uh, you know, in Christmas morning, mm-hmm. uh, like I, you know, kid, pulled a Keith moon on it and bashed my face into it. And that was the end of that. And then, I've, I've embarrassingly want never, I don't like everyone talks about these kits, but I've never seen them before. Was it? The oh, one the I'll have to send you a picture. Was it, did it have paper heads? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and when you play it with metal spoons, they don't <laughs> last too long. Right. Those don't hold up. So but I've heard so many people talk about these, these, and I, like, I know specifically Carter Bofa was like, Oh, I got this kit. And like in a day I broke it or whatever, oh, yeah. but you break but I never it immediately. You make it, you break it immediately and you say, well, Okay, drums kind of suck because Could that's you your replace first... the heads on them. No, no, it no. just it went over in the corner and then I moved on to the next thing. But I'm, I'm I wasn't lying when I'm like I have no idea what these things. No, are, you so. you really don't replace them. They're just a great way to milk the the parents out of uh, you know uh, eighty five bucks. I think they probably were at the time. <laughs> right. But no, I graduated from that and I went to um, I kept those spoons because I found the spoons. You know they didn't break. Mm-hmm. So um, I got out my uh, Lincoln log. Um, uh, do you know, remember what Lincoln yeah, logs yeah. were? Okay. Yep. 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 So I would empty out that can, turn it over and bash the uh, crap out of those. And those actually lasted uh, because metal on, you know, something of metal, you know, that kind of works. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I would also use the Lincoln logs as drumsticks. So, you know, you had sort of a wood, kind of thing going on uh right and uh i played on charles chips cans yeah anything that was a can like i was one of the one of those original like street drummers like you give me something i'll hit it you know right right so and uh and that lasted until i was about 12 and then uh my folks uh i thought they were getting me a pool table one christmas and uh i was so excited because i wanted a pool table I didn't get a pool table. They got me a, a Tama Imperial Star, a black Tama Imperial Star kit, which um, I, was, I was devastated. I, I didn't want a drum set. I wanted that really? pool table. So, <laughs> so for a long time, I did not play the drums. That drum set sat in my room, and I kind of just looked at it and dis- with disdain because I wanted my pool table. But... Um, <laughs> Eventually, I started playing along with records, and uh, and and there you go. And then you know, 
boy, four or five years flash by and I'm playing along with uh, moving pictures and kind of faking my way through thinking that I could do, uh, you know, play like Neil Peart. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then I said, okay, maybe I can play with human beings, you know, and that's sort right. of the way it led me to, to that. How integral do you think playing along with records was to your, to not only your, your playing, but just how quickly you learned? Without question, uh, playing with records was, was key for me. I mean, I, mm. never, I never had a drum lesson proper, a, a proper drum kit lesson. And you can probably tell from my playing. But... Uh, <laughs> The, I didn't want to say anything, but now that no, we're talking yeah, okay. about it. No, no, yeah. no. I'm, no, I'm I, I admit it. So, uh, <laughs> so, but um, no, playing with records certainly gave me uh, uh, the courage uh, to say, okay, you know, this sort of makes sense. And, you know, when you're sitting there listening with headphones on and you don't really hear what you're doing, your mind kind of fills in the things that you're not doing and it sort of meshes into something that, that gives you sort of the, uh, I guess the feeling like, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of doing this. And mm -hmm. if you were to listen back, of course, if I was to listen to myself just playing in a room along with a record, it wouldn't have sounded like Neil Pert, but, uh, in my mind it did. And right. that gave me, that gave me the, uh, the impetus to, um, to be able to say, okay, yeah, I'll go and join a, a band. Mm -hmm. And there's something about, like you said, you know, these parts are getting filled in, whether you're playing along with something that has ghost notes or, you know, there's, there's different levels of, of dynamics and things like that, that obviously as a young player, you're not playing all of that stuff. And, no. but, but the, the headphones are filling that in for you. That's right. But the other, the other side of it is, is just, under, you start to understand structure. You start to understand tempos. Certainly. You start to understand you, you're listening to the bass player and you're listening to, you know, ideally you're listening to a bass player that's far better than any bass player that's in your neighborhood or oh, anything 100%. Like that. Yeah, and that, that thing about tempo is, is without question, I think that's why, um, if I can brag on myself, I think that's mm -hmm. why I'm able to play, for instance, uh, like I've always had good time. And mm -hmm. I, so I think that that, um, the foundation was laid when I was playing along with drummers who either had fantastic time or were playing to click tracks themselves. So all along I was sort of playing to this, um, this imaginary click track, whether or not I knew it uh, or at the time or not. Yeah. And I'm trying to think back and I'm pretty, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that of all the people that I've had on the podcast, the people who we talk about who have great time and great feel and, and are really musical drummers, every single one of them said they played along with records, you know, for hours and hours and hours a day. And that was their, that was their thing. I mean, Steve Gadd and Steve Jordan and all these, I mean, all like Mount Rushmore guys all played along with records. Absolutely. And you can, and you can hear it, you know, I mean, uh, um, those cats, those, uh, I mean, uh, you listen to their playing and you can just tell that, that from the moment <clears throat> they started playing, they knew what it was like, even if they were, even if they were people that were uh, within the grooves of a record, you knew that they were playing along with people. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that they, uh, like you said, understood structure, understood the fact of, okay, I'm going to lay out here. Even things like dynamics, you know, you learn dynamics through listening to records. Um, so there are so many lessons uh, to be learned from listening to good records, especially. I mean, you, right. if you play along with, you know, I mean... I'm not going to name crappy records, but there are certainly <laughs> there are certainly wrong ways. Scott, to, what are your top five no, no, crappy no, no, records? No, can't, can't do that. But I can tell you, like um, the very first record that I ever remember listening to was um, a live Tom Jones record called mm -hmm. "Live at the Talk of the Town," and I can't even tell you who that drummer was, and I probably should uh, learn his name. But 
that guy could swing um, and he could play his, uh, uh, I don't know what we can say on this show. The family you can show. say whatever you want. Uh, he, he could play his ass off. And, you know, he was playing with Tom Jones in 1967. So, um, man, it, it was just uh, phenomenal. And I, by the way, I could never even try to play along with that record. I just listened to it and just, you know, I knew, at the, I, yeah, I just knew at that point that I wanted to do uh, follow music mm -hmm. in some way. I think about listening to records, like you're saying, not being able to follow along with them. And, and I, I remember specifically listening to either, whether it be a song or an entire record and literally cannot, couldn't wrap my brain around what was going on or what was being played, but would still try to like oh yeah do and you're like i know that this isn't right i know that i'm that you know i'm not even close i don't even know really what they're playing and but somehow out of that you create the one one of two things happens one you create sort of this bastardized version of it that becomes exactly your thing or you figure it out at some point and well, like that growth is exponential you just you just nailed it too. You make it your own, okay? And to this day, that lesson of making it your own is something that I carry into what I'm what I currently do, which is play with Jim Blossoms. Uh, you know, there are things that that uh, clearly I don't know what the hell Phil Rhodes was playing on those original records, and mm -hmm. I've had I've had discussions with Jesse. Uh, valenzuela our guitarist and and he was like i don't even think phil knew what he was playing but he said don't <laughs> worry about it just you know just just do whatever make it you know make it your own and mm -hmm. and if it turns out to be this bastardized version that works fantastic and and ultimately that's what you do is you you just try to you try to say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna incorporate the spirit of the song into what I'm doing and then sort of regurgitate it back out. And it's going to turn into hopefully something that works, works really well. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I, not to reference uh, other drummers here, but like Josh freeze, you know, I, I listen to what he does with sting. And uh, as much as I love the police and Stuart Copeland, uh, I just realized you're not on video. So I flashed a police. He flashed his police shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as much as I love Stuart Copeland, Josh uh, and and Vinny, those guys clearly make it their own. You know, yeah. I mean, yep. it's like that's the beauty of 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 you know the songs and playing for the songs, and also just uh, having that innate uh, ability to uh, hear a part and then say, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to make it exactly the way they played it but i'm going to incorporate a few things and then i'm going to mm -hmm. take it and i'm going to take it somewhere else yeah. and it's you know it's fantastic because those guys can do it yeah i think it's interesting that you brought up josh freeze with the Stuart or with uh with the police and um and playing with sting that he when he got hired for Sting, they wanted or they uh sting wanted a, a, a rock drummer right and, and he Josh, got one <laughs> and he got one. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, but at the same time, he, he is so experienced and, you know, I'm, you know, played with records and everything that he knows, he knows how to play all these police tunes and all these sting tunes. And like you said, work through all that stuff on his own, I'm sure made it his own and comes in and plays it like Josh Freeze. That's right. But it doesn't sound it doesn't sound like the Josh Freeze version of Sting. It just sounds like it sounds like Sting, but with with a rock vibe and a rock feel to it. One hundred. Yep. I I couldn't agree more with that analysis. I mean, I I uh, I forget what record it is, but it's a it's like a live Japanese uh, thing that was from the My Songs. I think I'm actually na nailing this. Uh, <laughs> the My Songs tour, and um, and I listened to the way he played. And it was just, just full on rock, but it was a different type of rock that say Stuart would have played, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. and it's not to say that one is better than the other, 
they're just both magically uh, different from each other and uh, just, you know, they're both fantastic. So you've heard me talk about the Black Panther Design Lab series from Mapex. Let me tell you a little bit about the Artist series. So they have a couple different options and one of them is the Warbird. This 12 by five and a half snare is designed by Chris Adler and it's an optimized version of the original Black Panther model with a unique 12 inch diameter and 100% walnut shell that delivers a dark, biting and powerful sound. These snare drums are amazing. You can check this one out and more by going to mapexdrums.com. Get ready for the new Promark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with ProMatch. Only ProMatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, Promark shows its commitment to the environment with Play, Plant, Preserve. Promark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play Promark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. Do you think it's a matter of of listening to songs, listening to records, playing along with them? Is that how you really craft your sound? You get all these influences from all these other oh, places? Yeah. Or do you think it's more... Do you, I guess the question I'm asking is, do you feel like it's more of an osmosis thing? Or do you feel like it's more of a sort of calculated, studied approach? Yes and yes. Uh, I, I do believe that... Um, that you can sit down and absorb uh, uh, even I've said this many times, but I think you learn from even, and I hate to say the worst drummers that you ever hear, but I think you learn something from any drummer you hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there are things that like, uh, you know, you can pick up on and say, okay, I would do that or I would make that choice. Or, you know what, maybe I wouldn't do that choice, but I understand why that drummer did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I certainly feel like um, you, can, you can absorb, and that's all musicians do. They just absorb from each other uh, and steal from each other. And, you know, um, and then, you know, like, like I said, you, you, try to, you try not to sound like the copycat guy. Right. Right. Um, you, you don't want to sit down and have, I mean, I remember you, like when I first started playing drums, uh, I would have people come up and tell me, Oh, you, you're a big fan of Stuart Copeland, aren't you? And I would, and I would say, yeah, I am. And a part of me would be like, well, that's wonderful that, you know, somebody would hear that. But at the same time, I don't want to be the guy that sounds like, Stuart Copeland and people right. hear that all the time. So that's where you grow as a musician. And it takes a lot of time to develop your own thing and to where you can still have your little Stuart Copeland and still have your little Neil Pert and your Bill Bruford and your, and your all of these, the drummers that are the melting pot into what you do. Um, and you can still sort of hide them in there. But then in the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, all that matters is somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, great show. Mm-hmm. You know, or I really yeah. dig what, or I really dig what you do with name the band in this case, Jim Blossoms. Yeah. Right. I feel like, unfortunately we're losing some of that sort of homogenation of all of these different drummers because years ago, like when you and I were coming up, 
you didn't know what they were playing. You had to like try to figure it out on your and you're like, and, and then you find out what YouTube. they were. <laughs> and now everything is right there, and you can just you can slow it down and say, oh, okay, I know I can slow it down to the sixteenth note or the thirty second note and figure every single thing out, and then just go duplicate it on the kit. This is instead why, of like, yeah. No, instead like of, what you're what you're saying, like you were everyone's like, oh, you sounded like Stuart Copeland. If you if anyone heard me play in you know my early years, I just sounded like a horrible Carter Beaufort. Like that's just what I sounded like. <laughs> right. And there was like all this stuff, not playing it right, you know, my interpretation of the stuff that he was playing. Yeah, but and see, everything. that's what made it you. That's I mean, you were you were doing the same thing that I was. It was like I, I, I listen, I would never claim to be like nailing what Stuart Copeland ever did, but I certainly could do little flourishes on the hi-hat and, you know, I understood what, what he was going for. And there are things that I will never give up. You, you could pry that hi-hat flourish from my cold dead hands. I will always play that, that because I love it. And, um, but uh, yeah, I, um, I'll tell you, when you when I watch Instagram uh, and I see all of the tremendously talented super drummers that are out there, a part of me is like just my jaw drops and then I get depressed <laughs> and then I think, boy, I really need to get in the go back to the shed and as they say right. and and practice. And then I think. Well, you know what? If I was to actually try to pull off some of those licks in the gym blossoms, I'd be fired. So yeah. there's a certain degree of of um, hey, all that's great. It's it's great that there are all of these fantastic drummers out there who can do things that just seriously they blow your mind. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like I. Uh, Every day I see somebody that I just say, oh, oh my gosh, we, it's sort of like basketball. Like a lot of times you see basketball players now who are doing these things that are just, just, I don't know how they Insane. do it. They're superhuman. Yeah. Like how does Steph Curry hit a shot from there? You know, how do, you know, yeah. uh, how, how does, uh, how do they do that? And then you realize, well, it's because there's an evolution, there's a progression and yeah, people are getting better and better, but that's not to say that there's still not a place for the drummer who's not shooting it from half court. Right. Um, right. And uh, boy, I, I managed to get in a basketball uh, reference. I liked it. I'm a sports Very. guy, so I, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> sons, sons in none. Okay. Next year. <laughs> There you go. Hey, uh, you know, I, I was a Charles Barkley fan, so. Oh, man. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. You gotta love the Chuckster. He, he was the Sixers guy for a while. So. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, I, now I just want to talk about sports. Uh, the the <laughs> other interesting. Switching it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, so who do you think is going to win the World Series? Um, mm. The interesting thing about, I, I make a lot of comparisons between sports and, or athletes and musicians because, a lot of the things are the same. It takes the same amount of dedication. There's, you know, there's competition among your peers in a good way, or, or I don't mean that in the bad way of where, you know, you're trying to win in music, but sure, you're getting, you're getting pushed or you see other people doing stuff and, and that pushes you to, pushes you to the next level. The interesting right. thing that I always thought about the difference between sports and, and music is if you are a stud athlete and you can throw the ball 98 miles an hour and you can hit the ball 500 feet. You can go try on to any team and you make the team and that's it. That's right. And but that doesn't happen if you're you could be I mean there's there's a great possibility that there's somebody out there right now better than Vinny Caliuta who no one's ever heard of, who lives in his basement, who never had, you know, never got the exposure or never met the right people or or whatever it is. And how do you think that people can sort of bridge that gap between okay i'm working hard i'm doing all the right things how do i take that and and actually start to build a career with those skills all right so i think about this often um and i've actually uh talked with friends and and um it's 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 basically like this 
right place, right time, and you have to be prepared for your shot. Um, the way you just described it is, is, is dead on. Like if you throw a 98 mile an hour fastball and you can hit a ball 500 feet, you're most likely going to end up <clears throat> with a shot at the game, at the, mm -hmm. at the show, at the show, as they yeah. say, uh, even then you could, you know, uh, go down with injury and that could be the end of it. Right. So, but you still get, you're probably going to get the shot and you might get that minimum, you know, rookie contract that, you know, could at least buy your parents a house or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you're a drummer or if you're a guitarist who can play really fast and, and, um, you know, who's, who studied, who went to Berkeley or whatever, it doesn't mean you're going to get a shot. It doesn't mean really anything because you still have to, you still have to be in that right moment and you still have to certainly pay your dues, even though paying your dues doesn't ensure anything. The mm -hmm. only reason why um, I got the gig in the Gym Blossoms was because I stuck with it so long and my number finally came up. And um, the reason why I got the call was because uh, I had played so long in so many bands in Phoenix and in Tempe, Arizona. And I had established my, myself as big fish in small pond kind of deal. Not even the biggest fish, by the way, but just a fish. A, a moderate a moderate sized fish. So <laughs> but I, I was I was a big enough fish that that Robin Wilson, the lead singer, uh called me and said, Hey, we need a drummer. Do you want to be the drummer? And I Did said, you know anyone in the band at the time? Um I I knew everyone, but I wasn't like, you know, hanging out with any of them. Certainly. Gotcha. Uh you know, I mean I it's so weird the way uh, paths cross. Like I, I, yeah, those guys actually, a couple of them, Jesse and Robin used to open up for one of my old bands back in like 1988 or something like that. Gotcha. So uh, things do sort of have a weird way of, you know, coming full circle, but mm -hmm. it's all about, again, you know, for me, it was persistence, not giving up on the dream even though I probably should have given up on the dream, I didn't, and I kept at it. And again, I was in the right place at the right time, and I was prepared because once I got the shot, you know, it, it's it's worked out for boy ten years now, I guess. Mm -hmm. The longest tenured Jim Blossoms drummer. I have to nice. throw that in there. <laughs> are they are they tough on drummers? Uh, well. Boy, I would I would defer that question to a historian, a rock historian, perhaps. Fair enough. You're pleading the fifth. That's I am pleading the fifth. <laughs> I like my job. I want to keep it. Well, you you mentioned about being at the right place at the right time, being prepared for the situation. Yeah. the The flip side of that too is if you're not prepared, then you could be at the right place at the right time and you don't even know it because no one ever picks your number oh, or that opportunity yes. flies right by. I mean, you know, this is, this gets into really deep stuff, like about just life in general, you know, like why, like you said, why is, why is the guy who is, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you see these dudes, you know, they're out on the, the, the street corner in LA or in New York or in any big city and they're playing uh plastic uh you know cans and and you and you look at him and you go that guy's phenomenal you know yeah um what kind of i mean i i i look at him and i go that guy should be you know playing in a in a, in a on a like a like some sort of jazz record or something or you know mm -hmm. or doing or doing something but he's sitting there on a on a street corner and I, I have no answers for that. I mean, I don't know why 
that is the way it is, but it is the way it is. And so, um, you know, I hate to use the word luck because I think you make your own luck, but it certainly is a matter of, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, um, you certainly are lucky when you get a phone call saying, hey, do you want to be a drummer for such and such a band? You know, just like mm-hmm. jo- Josh Freeze. He's lucky that, that he gets a phone call from Sting. But Josh Freeze <laughs> is Josh Freeze, and he's paid every conceivable dues, and he doesn't need to prove himself. You know, it's All like... Right. It's like and the interesting thing, like how he got that gig, is he knew someone who was working with Sting, who knew someone. It's like all of these relationships that he's built. Not that Josh Freese is not deserving of that gig because he's no, Josh but Freese. that's it, it. It certainly is is all part and parcel. It's like yeah, if you if you set, if you're good and you sort of sit in your bedroom and and you don't uh, go out and um, sort of try to make a name for yourself, then yeah, you're, you may be the, the best drummer on the planet, but you're going to be the mm-hmm. best drummer who sits in his room. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's not going to, you know, get you a job anywhere, you know? Yeah, right. So you, you, right. you have to, you have to make the effort. You have to keep on, you have to be persistent uh, and just don't, you know, if you're really serious about it, you never give up. Yeah. I would argue that as much time as you spend playing the drums, you should you could set you could spend an equal amount of time learning how to build relationships, how to communicate with people, how to you know uh, how to sort of be a better person. All of these all of these different things. Because I th- my theory is this, and I'd love to hear whether you agree or disagree. I'm 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 open to the to the uh, the criticism and disagreeing to this. But in the beginning, I think everyone has to go through that time where they're all they do is play drums, right? They're right. playing eight hours a day, ten hours a day. Nothing, you know, sort of nothing else matters. Absolutely. And, but then, as you start to grow in your career, I think that you need to pull back on some of the time that you're spending on practicing and spend more time on business, more time on meeting new people, networking, sort of all of. And I hate the word networking because it sounds so. It no, so it is. It's one of those. Uh, yeah, I hear you on that. I don't but like just it either. Building genuine relationships, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and like focus on, you know, making sure you're if you have a website, making sure that's up to date or, or going out and trying to get involved with different projects and all that kind of stuff, because I don't think that I think you're going to get marginal returns on your practice the the later you get in your not the later you get in your career, but the more advanced you become. It, it, and it I is. don't think it's like, you know, that extra three hours that people are going to be like, oh, now you can play those Rademacues with your feet. Come on board. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, I cannot disagree with you, sir. And I'm That was a very to... long-winded. Uh, no, uh, uh, no, it's not long-winded, so but it, it's completely true. And um, you also nailed something, which is... Um, that yeah playing drums learning those you know the ability to play in a band uh, playing those playing those songs doing it nailing it that's all one thing but then the other half is the human side of things which is can he get on a bus and coexist with nine other grown men for long periods of time and Mm -hmm. Can you uh, get on planes and not, you know, uh, squabble over who gets the middle seat and so forth? You know, can you get uh, to the plane on time? You, yeah. Can you get to the plane? on? Can you actually, you know, show up? Uh, those are all very important things, too. So the human skills uh, is so val- it's, it's, it's so valuable. And how many people do we know that lack that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can tell you the stories of people that fantastic drummers who uh, failed to show up on time for their major label showcase, right? you know, uh, and, you know, blew opportunities for, you know, themselves and other people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, self-destructive, um, you know, so 
so yeah, the chops and all that and rehearsals, rehearsing, that's great. But you also have to know how to be a functioning adult um, and be <laughs> right. able to, you know, uh, get along with people. And mm -hmm. um, like I always say, there's, you know, I'm Switzerland. Yeah. And, and yep. it, you know, it pays to be Switzerland. Um, so, yeah, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Analog sound for a digital world is finally here. Sonar has transformed the original sonar sound look and feel of the 50s, 60s, and 70s drums into a contemporary concept called the Sonar Vintage Series. Complete with an updated teardrop lug design, round bearing edges for warm, deep, low-end tone, a reissue of the classic iron-shaped bass drum bracket, and exciting finishes, the Sonar Vintage Series is the obvious choice for anyone who has one eye on the past and one eye on the future. For more information, visit sonar.com. Where do you see people making the mistakes in, in that area where it's building the relationships and, and quote unquote networking? We got to come up with a different word. Yeah. I'll well, just call no, it building the, relationships. Yeah. I think, uh, well, there nowadays, you know, um, the social media thing, um, you know, I think that that can, that can take you, uh, that can open certain doors, certainly. Mm -hmm. But I also think that because everybody is using social media, that it's, you know, it's like I was saying to somebody the other day, it's like, there, there are so many bands now. I, there are so many fantastic bands. I lose track of who I'm supposed to be listening to or who I'm supposed to be, <laughs> you know, paying attention to musically. So it's easier for me just to go back and listen to James Taylor. Um, but as far as as far as that networking thing, um, you know, you have to pick your spots. And I, I I will say this: here's here's a if I can offer a tidbit. So the touring musician is out there, and they have more face time with other musicians than most people do. So. If you're out on tour and you're touring, let's say, with Train or Collective Soul or, you know, some of these bands that we play with, you can actually get to know other fine human beings uh, and, you can, and you can exchange phone numbers and you can say, hey, let's keep in touch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I've got a, a dear friend named Johnny Rabb who's the drummer for Collective I love Soul. Johnny. And Johnny is just a fantastic human being. You know, yeah. forget music. He's just a great guy, right? So, but it's certainly nice to be able to, you know, get off the road and just compare notes, if nothing else. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there might not be anything that will come from that relationship that will lead to another gig, but it's certainly really nice to know that there's a Johnny Rab in my life. Boy, that right. sounds really sentimental. But <laughs> we'll sorry, to, sorry. We I... may have to FaceTime Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the flip side of that too is they may go someone may talk to Johnny and say, Hey, do you know do you know this guy Scott? They're thinking about hiring him for the gig. It, oh exactly. yeah, he's a great guy. That's or why you always versa. that's why you don't want to be the dick who shows right. up and and doesn't you know high five the other drummer or the guitarist for so and so you don't want to be that guy i want yeah. to be the guy that's like hey it's great to see you and it's genuine you know i yep. i mean i genuinely like running into people that we tour with it is it is nice because it is it's such a lonely road out there yeah yeah, especially so, when you don't have any friends. That's right. <laughs> when you're eating dinner by I mean, yourself, it's it's you, you've hit too close to home there. All right, when you're eating cold <laughs> cold pizza at the end of the night, and you're like, and no one wants to talk. What to am you. I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I will say that one of the looking back, like Steve Jobs says, you can only connect the knots going backwards. And I never really, I never really thought about this at the time. But every venue we ever played at, like everyone in the band, and you know, including myself, we would talk. We would talk to everyone. We talked to the security people and the ushers and the and people. Yes. Collecting, and we would just and we would play venues over and over again. And we would get to know people. And then we would play with bands, you know, the same bands a lot. And we would get to know all those guys. And and now looking back, I'm like that was that was the best business decision we could have ever made. And it was just something that sort of naturally happened. Uh, I think just because all the guys in the band are just kind of like that. Um, but I, I think that from what you're saying and, and, you know, experiences that I've had, I think that if you can do that as a musician or if you can get your band to do that, to recognize everyone in the venue, if you can become friends with the other bands, it goes so far. It goes so far, not only from just a, a personal standpoint, but also uh, when your band that you're playing with wants to get that re, you know, get rebooked by the same mm-hmm. promoter, it pays dividends to know, boy, we had a really warm, fuzzy feeling when we dealt with the band that you're playing with. And you know, going up and saying hello to the, to the security and uh, you know, and again, I, I, I don't think either of us are saying like that this is sort of like put on, no, it's a genuine thing. Like it's, these people work hard and it's part of the show. So at the end of the night, I always make it a point to say, Hey, thank y'all so much for, Mm -hmm. for helping us put this thing on. And, you know, you shake hands with, with the local guys and you, you always make sure to make, you know, thank the monitor guy for not frying your eardrums and, <laughs> and, you know, and you move on to the next town. It, it, it goes a long way. It really does, it does go a long way. And it's not, if anyone's listening saying, well, I'm not on this major tour or we're not dealing with, you know, local crews and, and all this. It doesn't matter if you're playing at the, at the bar down the street from your house, be nice to the bartender, take care of the bartender, be nice to the bouncer, the, you know, the, the waiters and waitresses that work in the club. And I just, just, especially now, you know, yeah. especially during this, uh, very tenuous time, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, boy, are we all not, in it together and we're all fighting for the same cause which is just to have it stay up and running and um so it's so important to you know go in with a smile on your face at the beginning of the night and end the night with a smile on your face and uh and just realize how lucky we are um to be doing this at all you know yeah Yep. I know we had talked about it a little bit before, but getting getting the Jim Bossoms gig, I'm always interested to know how how that is going into a band that's already established. There's been multiple drummers. Um you have to learn a catalog of songs. You're dealing with fans who are used to hearing things a particular way. Uh you know, some of the some of the records are are older uh and you kind of have to go back in time a little bit because maybe you would make different sonic selections now than you would in 1994 or something like that. How is that for you going into that setting? Is it, is it nerve wracking? Did you have a lot of creative freedom doing that? What's that process look like? Cause I think it's valuable whether you're joining Jim Blossoms or the Joe Schmoes, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a valuable skill. Actually, I think you made a really, um, you, you brought up a really interesting point there. Uh, the first record that the Jim Blossoms recorded, I think it was 1994. And so sonically, the drums, I actually had to like take the record and run it through an EQ so that I could pick out, this is no, this is no, nothing disparaging on the original producer engineer (laughs) but i had to i had to pick out like what the kick drum was doing because um just the way the drums were mixed the drums are mixed sort of like you know they weren't they weren't necessarily the loudest thing 
mm-hmm. in in the mix, and the guitars were very chimey, and so there was, was that a when lot. they were doing like snare drum was a lot higher, and everything yeah. else was really yes, down low. Very, I think yeah. very much so, and and you know again, Phil, um, his parts, uh, um, like eventually, I've, I I asked Jesse, I said, dude, I said. I think Phil is playing a double kick drum pedal. I don't play a double kick drum. And I don't even know why the Jim Blossoms would have double kick drum. Do I have to really throw in those little, you know, pickups? With, and Jesse was like, no, no. Just this is where it gets back to make it your own. So right. I would take the, the, the spirit of the song and, and not try to better it or say that the old thing wasn't good because obviously it was good. It's, it's, um, those, you know, you'll hear those songs forever on the radio yeah. or whatever yep. is out there. Um, they sold a but, couple records. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and so, but what's cool is that like, since I've been doing this and I, and, and I hear it more and more as the years go on, more and more people say to me, you know what? those songs have never sounded better. And, you know, I think for me, I take that to mean um, that I am basically like, again, taking the spirit of what the original thing was and I'm making it my own. And, um, and, and that's all you can hope for is just to make it sound good and to please everyone in the band. That's the most important Mm -hmm. thing, to be honest. Because if nobody in the band was happy with what it, I was doing, you know, it would be like, okay, well, you know, I mean, I don't think I'd be with the band 10 years. So no, I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah. What is it like learning that the catalog? Um, well, the first, the, the first go around was pretty, that was pretty hairy for me because I didn't know every single Jim Blossom song. I mean, I right. knew the hits. Uh, mm-hmm. And I certainly knew um, like some songs here and there, but not to the point where I could sit down and play them. So I had to do like a, the crash course thing. I set the drums up at the house. Uh, I downloaded the songs and I had to learn like 25, 30 songs. And, you know, I already had my plane ticket. My, my show was already in my plane was already booked and yeah. so that first show i felt was sort of the audition because if the first show had gone uh, disastrously they probably would have said uh we would like it to, to talk with you you know <laughs> <laughs> but it, it went well and you know all was all was good nice but nice. yeah so it was it was certainly uh yeah boy learning that many songs in that short amount of time it was it was tricky and are you just learning them by ear or are you oh yeah sketching you're not sketching anything out you're not i would occasionally do the uh you know the sheet of paper with the verse chorus first chorus thing and i'll let you in on a little secret i don't know if i've ever discussed this before but i had a little ipod on stage and the biggest thing for me was remembering what the intros to the songs were. Mm. So as Robin, as we would finish the first song, I would immediately have an iPod dialed in and I would be listening to the intro of the next song. And then I would be ready to go for the next song. Wow. So I I was totally cheating on stage, but I mean, so you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. And it, and it did work. I mean, I only counted off the wrong song twice. You know, that was, that was kind of fun, but you know, whatever, but it, you know, yeah. eventually you, you, uh, I got away from that and, uh, yeah, it was all good. Yeah. I always have a hard time remembering the names of songs. Oh dude, me too. And they're I, like, Oh, we're going to play this song. And I'm like, yeah, I know that song. We've played it a hundred times. I have no idea what song that is though. I'm terrible with titles. Uh, and in the case of the Jim Blossoms, you know, we have until I fall away till I hear it from you. So those, those two songs to this day, when I see them on a set list, 
you know, especially you're reaching we, for your iPod. Yeah, we abbreviate. Yeah, I'm reaching for the iPod. Well, we abbreviate the, the set list too, so it's till un, until ah, uh, I'm getting confused <laughs> right now. But uh, yeah, it's it's these little drummer tricks. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, especially like not right. I mean, I don't know. I'm not writing anything out, so it's just like. A well, line you do, four times four. Line that's what I, times oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do the, like, the um, uh, boom. You know, I'll have boom times four, snare hit. Yeah, it really would have helped to have, like, learned to read and, you know, <laughs> right. done all the proper things now that I think about it. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe I can go back and do it's, that. It's never too late. It's never too late. Josh Fries so, listening. Maybe he'll give me some lessons. Maybe he can give you some pointers. <laughs> you can learn the Nashville number system. You can do that. It's a lot easier. There you go. All right. Uh, so, are you guys out now or no? Well, um, we're you know we're dipping our toes back in the in the pool of entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've got yeah we've got some shows booked through the end of the year. And, uh, boy, let's just cross our fingers. Yeah. And, uh, so yes, we, we have been playing, uh, and the shows have been great. You know, we, it's like uh, falling off a bike. That's the right. uh, Yeah. Uh, it's like falling off a bike. You, you know, you, you pick it up right away. About the only thing that you worry about is the cardio because, uh, you know, playing an hour and a half or whatever, uh, you're like, okay, I maybe should have been playing all this time on my own. But, you know, <laughs> or at you, least jogging or yeah, something. or at least jogging or, you know, but uh, yeah. So, so yeah, we're back out there and, you know, we're sounding good. And, and uh, you know, again, we just hope we, we get all the, the uh, shows stay in place and go forward onward and upward and cross the fingers. Yeah. Where's the best place that people can follow you? Do you do, do you, I know you're on Instagram. Is that the best place? Follow to, me to personally or yes. Um, Both. So I, yeah, I, uh, I do the, the Instagram machine I do, uh, which is Scott Hessel, uh, just Instagram.com slash Scott Hessel, two T's one L. And then I do the Twitter machine and, uh, Facebook, you know, Facebook is weird. I, I don't, I don't really do, I do very much on the Facebook anymore. Neither do I. Yeah. It's Neither just, it's more for like, you know, like posting family stuff and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, I don't do TikTok. <laughs> I haven't. You got, see, I thought you were, I thought you, you seem like a TikToker. To I, do, I don't even know. I don't even know how to log into TikTok. <laughs> I, 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 I figured you'd be on there doing your dance moves. No, and, you know. <laughs> I'm considering an OnlyFans thing, but I did there I say go. that out loud? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, once you open your your OnlyFans, we'll be uh, we'll be sure to link up to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll be sure to uh, to erase this interview immediately. <laughs> this yeah, this episode is no longer available. <laughs> This drummer is no longer available. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. goodness. Former Jim Blossom's drummer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Goodness. Well, Scott, I appreciate you coming on, talking uh tons of tons of great knowledge for people listening for sure. Uh and I mean the main takeaway I really got out of this is like just don't be a dick. Be a good person. Study your craft, you know. And, and be, be out there, be the person that's sort of starting things and getting things moving and good things happen. Yeah. And, and you know what, uh, that's the best you can hope for, you know, um, uh, I, not to get all, um, whatever about it, but if you're, if you're the opposite of that, I think that, that the same holds true. If you're, if you're sort of a dick, you know, if if that doesn't pay off, that doesn't really go well uh, with, (laughs) you know, to, to my, uh, what I've observed through the years. So yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, work hard, 
and just be a kind person. And, um, you know, uh, that's, that's pretty much the best you can do. That's it. I agree with you, my man. All right. Well, thank you for doing this again. Uh, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and also stay safe out there on the road. You as well. And thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate you. Of course. My pleasure. There you have it, Mr. Scott Hessel. And you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 627. Also on the site, if you are looking for a particular drummer, just go to drummersresource.com and search. It's a lot easier to find than trying to do it on iTunes or Spotify or something like that. You can always search on the website and then go to Spotify and, and iTunes and listen to it. But the search function on the website is, is much better. So check that out, drummersresource.com. It's all, it's brand new. I'm sure you've heard me say that before, but it's really robust and it works really, really well. So check that out. If you have any questions, you have any feedback, anything like that, go ahead, shoot me an email, nick at drummersresource.com. Hit me up on social. I have a drummers resource account, my personal account, all that kind of stuff. I'm easy to find. So other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening and I will be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.